You know, it's always a privilege to uh, be able to just share the Word of God. I, uh, I love Jesus, and I don't know how you guys feel, but uh, it is a privilege to be part of the family of God. You know, it, when you think about everything we have, we sometimes, I think, uh, forget about what Jesus has really done for us. I mean, he paid the price for every sin of mankind so that he, we, he could bring us back into relationship with God, which we lost in the Garden of Eden. Um, and, and we, I think, sometimes forget what a privilege it is that we literally have the God of the universe living inside of us if you've been born again that's the key we have got to be born again you know jesus well i'm going to talk about that but uh anyway let's go ahead and get started i have a tendency to get going sometimes i lose sight of where i'm going but uh there's three things i'm going to talk about today i'm going to talk about the fact that we are made in god's image we are made in God's image. Second, that we are a habitation of God. That he has chosen to live inside us. And the third thing is that we are ambassadors of Christ. In other words, we're who the world sees as Jesus. In other words, has anybody in this room seen Jesus walking on the earth? Yeah, well, yeah, somebody said every day, yeah, that's, you know, you see Jesus through us, and God chose it that way. He, in the very creation, the beginning of creation, which we're going to look at, we see that he made us to be representation of who he is, and that's who people see, and he gave us the ministry of being ambassadors for him. Does anybody know what an ambassador is? Representative, right. It's somebody who stands in, uh, uh, what do you call it, the authority of like our president. And we stand with the authority of God because we're Christ's ambassadors. And we're going to see that. But anyway, those are the three things I'm going to talk about so you can go to sleep now. You don't need to. But anyway, I want to start, if you'd turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, uh, to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 26. So, I'm sorry, I'm a little shaky, but I don't know if it's the anointing or just that I'm nervous, but uh, sometimes when I get up here, and... Uh, I'm reading from a translation I usually don't use, but the reason I'm reading from it, it's big print, and I'm getting to where sometimes I don't see so good up here. At the, but it's the, new, it's the New Living Translation, which is just a little bit different than the NIV. So uh, if it sounds a little different, it, that's why. But starting in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, 
and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's kind of an interesting point to bring up in today's society, but... Uh, you know, that's the way it was originally made, and I, I kind of agree with that. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So let's talk about this a little bit. So, you know, I don't know how many of you have read the creation story but mankind is the only part of creation where God said, let us make them in our image. Who was he talking to? Well, he was talking to what we as Christians know as the Trinity. You know, we... Uh, Believe that we worship a triune God. What's that mean? That means that there's three parts to God that we recognize. Uh, we don't worship three gods. We worship three parts of the same God. And in, uh, you know, the study of theology, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, controversy as far as actually actually what that means but to me the three parts of God are God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and I believe that there's only one body of God in other words when we go to heaven we're not going to see a body of God the Father and a body of God the Son we're going to see one body of God, one physical body that looks similar to our body, it'll be a spiritual body. But do you know who that is? Anybody? There's no, it's Jesus. It's the Jesus that was resurrected and went up to the Father in a resurrected body. Do you remember what kind of a body he had? Did he have a body like we've got? Can I walk through walls? No, but you know Jesus in his resurrected body could. So anyway, that's, that's the body of God. Bible says that Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. It also says that in him, all the Godhead dwells in bodily form. He is the only body of God that we're going to see. Now there's two other parts of that. And it's, uh, of course, the Father, which is the God, the Spirit. And then there's the Holy Ghost, which a Holy Ghost, you know, a lot of times theologians don't really know what to do with the Holy Ghost. He's kind of hard for them to handle. But, you know, it's, there's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, and it, there is kind of what it says. Paul is saying that, I hope God saves you wholly and completely, and that your soul, your spirit, and your body are all saved. And 
I believe that what Paul is saying there is that he believes what I believe, that we are a three-part being as well. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And we're not different. It's all the same in this one unit. I have a body, I have a soul, I have a spirit. And I believe that is part of what God said when he said, let us make man in our image. I believe he made us as a triune being as well. Now, there's a lot of controversy on this. Some people believe that we're uh, a dichotomy being. In other words, we only have two parts. We have body and, and soul. And they believe that the spirit and the soul are the same. I do not. Now, you can read the word, pray about it, whatever. But I think... Uh, we are triune just like God because God said, let us make man in our image. And I believe the word says what the word says and that God believes us to accept it as it says because every word of God is important and it's inspired. And I believe that the word of God is inspired. Okay, so uh, let's go... Take a look a little bit more. Uh, any confusion on that? Okay, a lot of stuff. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. But let's go on and, and look at this creation. So God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So in our image. So how do we look? This is what human beings look like, right? And I believe God looks like this. We were made in his image. How did Jesus look? He looked like us, didn't he? So, you know, we are made in the image of God. Okay, and in his likeness. What does likeness mean? It means we're made like God. So if God is three parts, do you think we might be three parts? Absolutely. Is that important? I think it is important because... You know, the Bible, Jesus said, uh, see, did Jesus say this? Yes, he did. He said it to the lady, the Samaritan woman at the well. He said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So I believe that we are spiritual beings. We have a spirit because that's the way that we contact God. And I believe that when we get born again, you know, uh, I think it's interesting that uh, Blake is going to preach about salvation in the next three weeks because, you know, part of being saved is that there's this thing called the new birth. We throw that around a lot as Christians, but it's so important. Why is it important? Because Jesus said when he was talking to Nicodemus about it, in John 3, he said, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. So I ask you, can you be a Christian if you haven't been born again? No, that is a beginning point. You must be born again. So is that more than just saying a prayer or whatever? That's something that you need to work out with God. I'm not up here to justify when you're saved, when you're not saved, all I know is we need to be born again. And what happens when Jesus describes that is he says that we need to be born of the flesh. What's born of the flesh? It's flesh. Now, has everybody in this room been born of the flesh? 
Yes, you have. You came through your mother's womb, or out of your mother's womb, and you were birthed into this world. And that's being born of the flesh. Now, being born of the Spirit is a different thing. That's where God's Spirit comes and lives inside us. How can he do that today? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus paid the price for all the sins of mankind. And he made a way for us then to be brought back into relationship with God that we lost in the Garden of Eden. See, when man was first created, as we see here, he was created like God. Was man sinless at that point? Yeah, he was. And I believe God lived inside us then. And I believe, this is Glenn Dart's uh, theology, so you can accept it or throw it out, whatever you want. But I believe that when we sinned, when mankind sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, what died in them was their spiritual nature. I believe God was driven out. The Spirit of God was driven out. I believe man was originally created to live forever. I don't believe we'd have ever died if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned. Because I believe we had God's Spirit living inside us like we do now when we are Christians. That's a real key when you think about it. The fact that we have God's Spirit living inside us. Do you realize what that means? The God who created this entire universe lives inside every one of us if we've been born again. Now, is that a privilege? I say, yes, it is. So anyway, let's take a little more look here at Genesis one twenty six. It says, so let us make mankind our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, over the livestock, animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So with this creation that God has given us, we also had some authority. We were given authority over this earth to rule and to reign and to replenish it. One of the translations say, it doesn't say that in most of the newer ones, it just says be fruitful and multiply. But if you look at the Hebrew, it carries the connotation of more of a replenishment of the earth. And we have that uh, authority to do all of this in God's name. And I believe that when we get born again, there is authority that comes back to us in the name of Jesus. And because we are restored in our relationship. So, what does that mean? Basically, we're at the top of the food chain. Right? We have power over all the power of the enemy. Yeah, all of it. Now, do we live like that? Not all the time. Why? Because we, I think I've shared with you guys before. The battle that we battle with is so much in our mind. What we think, we need to begin to think like the Word of God says that we are. 
You know, I mean, the word of God says that we're forgiven for all of our sins. But I can tell you there are people in this room today who are packing sins and condemnation and guilt. Even though you're a believer, you're still packing those things around thinking, I'm not quite as good as so-and-so because I did this in the past or I think this too all the time. But God says, no, you are as good as everybody because we're all equal because God has forgiven us all of all of our sins. And uh, anyway, the, the idea of authority, I think sometimes we forget that we actually have authority because of the Spirit of God, because of our relationship with God, because of the fact that we were made in the image of God. We have authority over all the things of the world that we wrestle with. And that's why, you know, as Christians, we need to be bold. We need to speak the word over situations. We need to proclaim things. We need to say that, you know, what the word says and stand on those and walk in that because then we can be victorious. Instead, you know, a lot of us are walk around kind of weak and frustrated. You know, Christians should be the happiest people on the face of the earth. We should be happy. You know, the Bible says, you know, he's, uh, Paul, Blake said he's going <laughs> to talk about, you know, the kingdom of God. You know, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. That's what our lives should be like. They should be like that, you know. Uh, anyway, let's go on and uh, let's take a look at uh, chapter 2, verse 7 in uh, Genesis. It says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being or actually a soul is what that means. It's the word that's translated soul so, so many times in the uh, Hebrew. And, but the fact that God, you know, he formed us. It was like we were uh, like a clay human being just laying there. And then what made us special was first we were made in the image of God. We were made to look like him. And then God breathed his life into us. And that's when we became a living soul. And that's what happens to us when we're born again. God breathes again his life into us. His spirit comes and lives inside us. And, you know, I talked about three parts of us. You know, we've got body, soul, spirit. And, we, you know, and those parts are kind of, I mean, let's face it, like me, I, when I got saved, I was, I think, 20 years old. So I'd lived 20 years without God. And so when I first became a Christian, it, you know, it wasn't real easy to be a Christian. Well, number one, I didn't know what it even meant. And so, you know, I, 
you know, I, I didn't knew nothing. I wasn't raised in the church. I knew nothing about being a Christian. So that was hard for me. But also, you know, I'd had all these years of living in the flesh, doing the things that the flesh drives us to do. And, uh, you know, it's no wonder that we wrestle in our mind with being who God says we really are and, and who we really are. You know, because what God says about us, that is who we are. And, uh, you know, our relationship with God not only affects, you know, the people around us and what they see, but it also affects us. And uh, I want to, turn. if you turn with me, let's turn to Romans 8.1. One of my favorite verses, and I, I just love it because it's so freeing to really grasp hold of what this means. And I'm going to read, you know, probably four, down maybe four verses, maybe a couple of other ones out of Romans Okay, Romans 8.1. Here's what it says. I know all of you are very, probably very, very familiar with this. Okay, it says, uh, probably in the heading above the number, it probably says life through the Spirit. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And some of your translations will have on the first Verse there, that therefore there is now no, no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And the reason that isn't in this translation, a lot of the newer ones don't have it, is because some of the earlier, most of the earlier manuscripts did not have that. But if you go down to verse 4, it basically states the same thing. So we need to be walking in the Spirit. But what I like about that verse is it says that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to us if we're in Christ Jesus. So there is no condemnation from God. And I like that, you know, the, the word condemned, I like it thinking about this because if a building's condemned, what does that mean? you're going to tear it down or you can't live in it, right? So, flip that over to a spiritual idea. What does that mean? Well, if you're condemned, if you've got condemnation, that means God can't live in you. But if you have no condemnation, guess what? You're a habitation of God in the Spirit. He can live in you if you have no condemnation. See, it's the sin that has driven the... Spirit of God out of mankind. And what Jesus did, he paid for all of our sins. He came down. He took on the form of a man. He lived as a man. 
He was totally without sin, yet he went and paid the price for sin so that we then could have a relationship with God. And that in that relationship, our spiritual nature has no condemnation. There should never be any. If you are getting condemnation for anything, I will tell you right now, it's not from God. It's either from you, from other people, or from Satan. God does not condemn you if you're born again. You always got to put that if you're born again. It's real important to be born again. And um, if you go over to verse 11, this is really cool to me anyway. It says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, okay, whose spirit is that? God's spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. So we have the same spirit living in us that raised Jesus from the dead. You think about that? Do we live like that? Eh, not always. <laughs> because we just, for, for one thing, we just can't believe it's true. But it is. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And it's completely holy and acceptable to God. So, you know, sin doesn't affect that spirit of God that is inside us if we've been born again. What does that mean? Well, that means, you know, we're supposed to go out and be ministers to the world and stuff. And that means that the power of God can work through us, not be hampered, in every one of us who's been born again. It doesn't mean that because I'm not the pastor, I'm not Blake, that I can't have the ability to lay hands on the sick and have them re and expect them to recover. Or I can't have the ability to preach the word of God to somebody and see them come under the power of the Spirit and get saved. We've got the ability to do everything that Jesus did because we've been born again. And we have the same Spirit in us as was in Jesus when he walked here on earth. The same Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living inside us. And there's, it's not second-class Holy Spirit. It's not less Holy Spirit. It is 100% the pure Spirit of God. Now, do we feel like that? Eh, not always. But we should because it is no different. I'm telling you, it is no different. God wants his people to rise up and start walking in the power and the anointing that we have. You know, a lot of times we don't hear much about the anointing anymore. I don't, I'm not sure why, but you don't hear people preach about it much. But there is an anointing that comes from God to be able to do supernatural things. And we are supernatural individuals if we've been born again. Now, get me. let me clarify this. I am not saying we're gods. 
Do not leave here today saying, Glenn said we're gods. I'm not saying that. We're spiritual beings, and we have God living inside us, but we are not gods. There's only one God, and fortunately, we get to be in relationship with him. So uh, anyway, let's turn over to, uh, let's see, where do I want to go next? I want to talk about, let's go over to Ephesians. There's some scriptures I want to look at there. And then we'll go back to 2 uh, Corinthians, and I'll finish up. Okay. So this is a verse you're probably very familiar with. It's uh, Ephesians 2, and I'll start in verse 21. So uh, is everybody there? Okay. It says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in God, in which God lives, how? By his spirit. We are a dwelling place of God in his spirit. He has chosen and he wants to live inside us. And, you know, as we're walking along our daily lives and... uh, You know, you may think of uh, somebody who, you see this guy on the street, he he wronged you uh, two months ago, and so you're kind of angry at him and stuff, and you think, oh, you know, I'd like to just kill that guy. You ever had any thoughts like that? No, but, you know, but, you know, you get angry. What I'm saying is you get angry. Now, is, is that the way we're supposed to act as a Christian? No. And what's that going to do? Well, it's going to make me feel guilty. You know, but let me ask you this. Will that drive the spirit of God out of your life? Who said yes? Okay. Uh, unfortunately, no, it won't. It will not drive the Spirit of God out of your life. Why? Does anybody know why? Blake, can you answer that question? (laughs) The reason it won't drive the Spirit of God out of your life, what does it say in Colossians about how many of our sins are covered? All of our sins. So what we do or don't do doesn't affect God's spirit living inside us. Now, we wrestle with that constantly, don't we? How many of you in here believe that if you're living right, God is happier with you? Anybody want to raise your hand? Yeah, I mean, he is. But does that affect The fact that his spirit is in you if you've been born again. No, it doesn't. The spirit of God isn't in us because of what we do or don't do. Get that. If you get nothing else out of this message this morning, grab onto that. Because the reason the spirit of God lives in you and you and you is because of what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing else. And we try... Or maybe you guys don't. 
But I try to become more acceptable to God by how I live. I, you know, I wrestle with that constantly, trying to be more pleasing to God. So, sorry, I'm trying to spit on you. <laughs> trying to be more pleasing to God. And, and you know, we, we just do that because that's the way the world is that we live in, isn't it? Everything we do, we get rewarded by doing it right. And, you know, am I saying you can just live like the devil? No. I'm not saying that at all, because there's consequences. There's consequences. It doesn't have to do with driving the Spirit of God out of us, but what it does is there's uh, what you reap you sow, and, you know, if you go out and drive drunk and get caught, guess what? There's consequences, isn't there? There's laws. And I'm telling you, if you're living like you know you shouldn't live, you cannot have what the Bible says the kingdom of God is, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. You will not have it because you're going to have guilt and shame and self-condemnation, and Satan's going to have a heyday with you. And what's going to happen is you're going to be ineffective for the kingdom of God. So we do all of this, and God's done all of this, brought us all into a relationship with him so that we can represent him to the world. That's what God wants. Well, number one, he wants a relationship with us. God loves us. I don't know why. Some of you guys are characters, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, you know, I, I love people. And, uh, and part of that is the character of God that's in us. You know, the character of God, the nature of God makes us want to love. It makes us want to take care of people, meet people's needs. It makes us want to see sick people recover. It makes us want to see people that are on drugs and stuff alcohol problems, freed. And that's the heart of God. You know, the Bible says that God is love. And you know, you read chapter 13 of Corinthians, 13th chapter, and it talks about love. And that's the nature of God. That's the heart of God. That's how God wants us to live. And uh, I want to close, uh, if you turn with me over to 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 5. Kind of lost my way here. I, I get to talking talk and then, uh, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to start in uh, um, 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to start in chapter 14. Or not chapter 14, verse 14 of chapter 5. And it's the it talks about the ministry of reconciliation. Does anybody know what the word reconciliation is? Somebody? To be put back together, to be, uh, you know, like with God, it's to be brought back into a relationship with him. It's to be reconciled with him, brought back, yeah. And uh, important, but that's... But here's what it says. It says, for Christ's love compels us. You know, I talked about how God is love. Well, God's love compels us if we've been born again. If the Spirit of God's in us, it compels us. 
because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So if we've been born again, we should be living for God. We should be living directed by God. That's what it's, you know, talked about in Romans 8, you know, the life in the spirit. So from now on, we regard no one from the worldly point of view. Though we once regarded, regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And other translations say that, you know, talks about us being a new creation in Christ. And once we've been born again, we are. We are new creation. In other words, we've been recreated right here on earth. And we ought to start really grasping hold of that and realize, you know what? The old Glendart is nowhere to be found. And there's people in this room that knew the old Glendart, and he's not like, I'm not like that anymore. I don't even think the way I used to. I've been changed. And it's all because of the Spirit of God working inside us. So we are new creations. So don't live in your old, Adamic, fallen mindset. I encourage you to begin to believe that you are a new creation. You're new in Christ if you've been born again. See, there's people... Probably even in this church, there's people that go to church. They've been born again. They might go to come to church every Sunday. But they don't have an intimacy with God. You know, and that's really what God wants with us as his children, as his people. He wants intimacy with us. You know, Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And that word know there is the Greek word gnosko. Does anybody know what that means? Nobody's ever heard that? It's the term that's used for a man to know a woman. The intimacy that's there. That's the way God wants to know us and, be in, and us to be in relationship with him. It's a real intimacy. And that's what God wants for us. And the purpose of all of that is so that then we can be like it says here. That God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He wants us to be his ambassadors to the world. He wants us to go out there and present him in the true way that he should be presented. Unfortunately... Jesus has been represented to the world in a lot of legalism and what I call religious traditions and stuff that really produce death. You know, when people see the real Jesus, they come flocking. They love him. Why? Because he loves them. You can't help. When you really meet the real Jesus, you can't help but love him. I remember the day I got saved. That was what really changed me 
was I felt the love of God. The love of God. So I'd uh, like to close right now. And if you guys would, just close your eyes. And I'm going to ask, is there anybody here that feels they're not born again? And they would like to be. Just raise your hand. Anybody? Okay. So I'm going to say a prayer, and I'd like you to follow along with me, and all of you in this room can follow along as well. Father, I confess that I am a sinner. I recognize that Jesus paid the price for all my sins. And I ask you now to come in and live within me. I ask forgiveness for everything that I have done. And I ask that you give me the strength to walk with you going forward. And I ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I encourage you that first time you, if that's the first time you've prayed that, that you go ahead and you can come talk to me. I can give you some uh, stuff. We've got stuff here for new believers, right? A packet that they can get. Yeah, come back and get that packet. And uh, with that, we're going to take communion this morning. And um, I want to read something that may not be uh, what you usually hear when we talk about communion. But it's out of Isaiah 53. It's out of Isaiah 53. And here's what it says. And I want you to keep this in mind as we take communion. It says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. And of course, it's talking about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like no one from whom people hide, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Thank you. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like streak, streak. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. With that, I'd just like to, let's just take the uh, bread. It says representative of the body. His body was broke, like it said here, it was broken for us. He was despised, and by his stripes, by the beating of his body, we are healed. And not only physically, but also spiritually. We are completely healed. So 
take the body. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And um, we take this, this is grape juice, but we, it could be wine. We, he said, we take this in remembrance of me. And it represents the blood that was shed. And so let's go ahead and take the blood. Jesus, we thank you for shedding your blood that we might have life and life abundant. Lord, you, you said that you came that we might have abundant life. That Satan only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But you came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And I just pray over this congregation this morning that they would begin to walk in the power and the authority that comes with your spirit upon us and the restoration of what we had in the Garden of Eden. I just pray that over us in Jesus' name. Amen.